Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Let's pray. God, uh, come before you this morning here with your people, and we ask that uh, corporately we can hear something. Uh, learn something, say something about you that we didn't know or that you will enlighten our hearts and that we can walk away from here encouraged, convicted, changed. Uh, Lord, give us something to chew on as we go throughout the week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and that we thank you for all that you've done. Amen. I don't know why you're here. And I don't mean that in a self-deprecating, I don't know why you're here. But I'm just saying, I don't know why you are here. I don't know why you, why you came here. Um, I mean, I guess I know why I'm here. But some of you are here for your own reasons. Some of you, this is your first time here. You wandered in. And you're here, and you're like, I'm not sure why I'm here. And maybe you don't know why you're here. Some of you are here because there's something that happens, and we've seen this for years, Luke and I. There's something that happens in, in, the, in the, the life cycle of a family. And so young parents, they raise their kids, and they do real good. And then when the kids get to that age to where they begin making their own decisions, they begin to make not good decisions. And the parents instantly hit the brakes and they're like, we need to change something. Like, it's time to go to church. Like, it's time. It's time to get there. We got to get there. Some of you are here because the burden of guilt that is on your shoulders from day to day is so heavy that this one hour during the week is just enough reprieve for you so that you can get through the rest of the week because it just gives you that moment for you can drag it in the door, you can throw it at the foot of the cross, and for you know 60 minutes maybe, like you can breathe and be okay. Okay, I just need to be told that Jesus loves me and that He cares about me and that and that I'm I'm doing okay. Some of you are here because it's a habit. Some of you are here because you're supposed to be. Well, you're supposed to go to church. I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want to go to hell in my mom and dad's eyes. So I go to church because they think if you don't, we've got our reasons. You've got your reasons. What's interesting to me, though, is that some of you have been holding on for a long time for an answer. And I think that's part of the reason some of you come back. Like, that's the reason you come back. Week after week, you come back through the doors with this thing, like, I'm still waiting on God thing. I've been praying for my kids. I've been praying for my marriage. He ain't answering. C.S. Lewis, Lewis wrote in a book years ago called A Grief Observed. He wrote it under a, under a, a different name. 
He writes this, when you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon your life as an interruption, if you remember yourself and then turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it seems, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate. Go to him then. When all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. The sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and then silence. I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there. Clack, clack, nothing. Why do you keep coming back? Why? Did he answer you? Did you hear something? You're going to keep putting that request before him day in, day out? Praying for your marriage? For that spouse of yours, your prodigal, terrible kids? Day in, day out? You're going to keep praying that same prayer and all you get is the sound of nothing and you keep praying it? Why do you come back? It's not hard to quit things. You act like you've never quit anything before. You've quit people before. It works like this. I quit. I'm not calling them. I'm not going around them. I'm not even going to go pick up my last paycheck. Keep it. I quit. But when it comes to him, you don't quit. Why? Why do you come back? I don't know why you come back. Why would you come? I know why you come. I know exactly why you come. Because at some point, in the middle of you taking your life and putting it before God, you had an encounter somewhere, some connection, some fleeting feeling or, or glimpse of him. It was just like in the shadows. You saw him between trees. It was just a flash, just some brief experience that you had with him. And it was enough to give you enough peace that now you can't let go. You were captured. You've been captivated. you caught. He got his claws so deep inside you that you absolutely refuse to let go. That's why you keep coming back. Because you know good and well that a moment with him outweighs every single bit of the pain that you're going to experience. That you get in his presence for just a moment and everything just gets better. And there's so much clarity. And all you can think is this. Now you are hooked. If I could get with him one more time. I think I could make it to the finish line. If I could have another encounter like that with him and just get a little bit of clarity, I think it would all be okay. I just need another word, another moment, just another experience, some enlightenment, because you had one once. And now you just keep coming back, even though there's some silence. What do you do while you wait?
What do you do while you wait? You sit in the pain. You sit in the silence. Your knuckles are bloody from knocking on the door. And you just keep waiting to hear him say something back to you. Peace. Rest. Contentment. It would just say some word that would just... You could get around the corner just... You could hear one more, and that's why you come back. You know what's interesting to me? I think another reason you come back is because your faith is greater than you think it is. Like you're still holding on. Like you've gone through stuff. Other people quit. But you just keep holding on. You keep looking at your ridiculous spouse. Like maybe God's going to change them. I'm holding out. Stop elbowing each other. I'm holding out. I'm holding out. Maybe he'll change him. Maybe he'll change you. I'm holding out. But one of the things that happens when we get in that place to where we're waiting, and it's just met with this silence, is we get distracted. It's easy to get distracted, especially if you're me. But I got a diagnosis. Mine's okay. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get distracted by shiny things, by good in your life, like C.S. Lewis said. When you're feeling good and you feel good about yourself and you have no need of him, it's in those moments it's easy to get distracted by the good that's in the world. You experience something that's like, you know what? Life's pretty good. My initial thought is not we should run to God and be thankful. I try to make that it, but I don't do a great job of that. But oh, I tell you when I go running... Oh, I'll tell you when I go, oh, when I come to the door, I'll wear out the button on heaven's gates. Bing bong, bing bong. Bing bong, bing bong. Who is it? You know who it is. Nobody rings the bell like that idiot. Bing bong. Wearing it out. And things get hard. Things get tough. Oh, here I come running. What do you do while you wait in silence? What do you do? Well, there's a bunch of cliches I could give you. You should pray. But you know the feeling, right? When things are not good, and the sickness is there, and the relationship's broke, and the kids don't listen, and the finances don't work, and the opportunities just seem to be getting closed in your face all the time, you should pray more. That's the last freaking thing I want to do is pray more. What I want to do is not pray more. I want to boycott. Well, you should read the scripture. <laughs> I'll try. I don't understand it, and plus it's boring sometimes, and I don't understand it. You don't give up. You hold on. Just keep holding on. You just keep holding on. Well, it's not getting any better. Keep holding on. Yeah, but it's so hard. Yeah, I know. Like, keep holding on. Like, don't quit. Like, just do, don't quit. You know what else you don't do? Don't get distracted by the pain. Don't get distracted by the pain. 
You see, the pain is one of those things that it's pointing to something that is wrong. What I do is this. Oh, the pain. What's killing you? The pain. It'd be like this. You got a great big splinter in your hand. You know, you see this with little kids. They got a big splinter in your hand. Okay, get out the tweezers. Let mommy get it. Let mommy get the, the splinter out of your hand. And the kid, kid goes like this. But it hurts so bad. Okay, let me get it. Oh! Okay, can I get it? Oh! No! Okay, look. It already hurts. This isn't going to hurt more. It's just going to hurt. Let me pull this out and we can figure. But it's the pain is the problem. The pain is not the problem. The splinter is the problem. The pain is pointing to the splinter going like this. Like, here's the problem. The signal is going from here to your brain going, I think something's wrong. I think something's wrong. And you say, it's the pain. The pain is the problem. Nah, the pain is the messenger. And when we go through something, whether it's spiritual or physical, we get in that place to where what we say is, the pain is the problem. I just can't hang on to the pain. It just hurts so much. I just, I can't let go of how bad this hurts. It just, it hurts. Okay, it's pointing to something. What's it pointing at? We don't like to be uncomfortable. I need to read you something. This is ridiculous. Actual responses from the comment card box given to the staff members at Bridger Wilderness Area in 1996. Do you have anything that you'd like to say about our trails? Any comments you'd like to make about our trails that we have running through the wilderness? Any comments you'd like to make about our trails? Here's some actual responses. Yeah, the trails need to be wider so people can walk and hold hands at the same time. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. There's too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Could you please spray the wilderness to rid the areas of these pests? Please pave the trails so they can be snow plowed during the winter. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to actually hike them. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. A small deer came into my camp, <laughs> that's my favorite, <laughs> and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can be reimbursed? <laughs> this is ridiculous. We are so comfortable that when there's a little bit of an inconvenience or a little bit of pain, we turn the thing. And we turn it in a couple of directions first, most of the time. What did I do to deserve this? Why would God do this to me? <laughs> Those are our two favorites. I got two guns, one for the each of you. It's my fault or it's the Lord's fault. Really? That's the first place we go. What did I do to deserve this? It's probably because of my life. Ridiculous. Reflectors need to be placed on the trees every 50 feet so people can hike at night with flashlights. Escalators would help on steep hills. 
A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. There are places where the trails do not exist and are not well marked. Too many rocks in the mountains. These are the problems that we have with the trailhead. I mean, with the trails. We don't like to be uncomfortable. Could you please move the mountains out of the way of my trail? I want to see the view of the mountains. Wow. Don't get distracted by the pain. But Jared, it's too much. It's overwhelming. I know, and I know. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're going through. I haven't lost anybody in my life. It was just a few years ago I lost my great-grandmother. The closest thing that I've ever lost. I think she was 97. I mean, it was like, I haven't lost anybody. So I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. I'm in, I'm in pretty decent health. So if you're going through something on a health thing, I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. I know this. Don't get distracted by the pain. It's a liar. It's a liar. It'll convince you of things that aren't true. It'll convince you of things that are not true. It'll make enemies of good people. It'll point its finger at people who are innocent, and it'll convince you that there's something wrong with them. The pain will make God the enemy. The pain will make the people you love most the enemy. Don't get distracted by the pain because the pain has purpose. Today we're in John 5. John 5, there's a story that the gospel writer John tells us. And the story is about a man who is lame, laying beside a pool called Bethesda. Now here's something that's interesting. If you go to Central Park in New York City, there is... Uh, there's a uh, fountain, I think it's called like the Lady, Lady of the Water or Angel of the Water, I think, something like that. It's called at, at uh, Bethesda Terrace. And what it is, is it's a picture of an angel who's standing in a fountain. And actually that statue in that big fountain in New York City comes from this passage. And there's this history behind it. That there were the pools there in John chapter 5, there were these pools right outside the temple, and they were spring-fed and they were stream-fed, but every once in a while, the waters would, would, would gurgle, would, something would happen in the spring, and, and the water would, would blow some air up through there, and they assumed that this, this water had magical powers. It was enchanted of some sort. It was some sort of... Well, their thought was that an angel was down in the water stirring up the water. And if you were sick, this is where you would wait. In Jerusalem, by this spring, this big pool, and you would wait right there. And then if the water began to get troubled or stirred up, if you were the first one in the water, you would get healed. And so massive amounts of invalids and disabled people gathered around this pool and waited for the water to be stirred all the time. It's kind of crazy because this was one of those things for years and years and years. They looked at this passage and they said, that, that pool is not there. And so the apologists and the, the, the uh, historical research guys said, 
That doesn't exist. So this is why scripture is not credible. And then in 1956, you know what they found? The pool. And they, John gives this crazy detail that there are five covered colonnades. There's these five porches that have these big covers over the top of them. So there's shade and there's water. And so people can rest there. And so they went and they were just like, that, that doesn't exist. So the scripture is wrong. John's not, uh, you, we can't trust it. And then in 1956, excavators came through and they found this massive pool. And you know what they found? Five colonnades, five big porches. And they were like, okay, well, uh, apparently John knew what he was talking about. You know what else is interesting is that nowhere else in scripture does it talk about Bethesda or these five covered colonnades. One verse, just this one verse. God's word holds up. So every single day, 13,870 mornings in a row, this man wakes up and he's greeted by non-compliant legs. He's been in this condition for 38 years. I don't know what you've been struggling with or how long, but suck it up, buttercup. 38 years. If I get a cold for a weekend, I'm a mess. I'm pretty sure I'm dying, and, and my wife can attest to that. Like, I don't know. Shoot me. Just put me down. I'm done. Not worth it. 38 years. And this guy is by this pool where all of these people are hanging out and spending their time. Jesus has been down in the Judean area. I mean, in the Galilee area, and he goes back down to the feast of the Jews, is what the scripture says. And we're not sure what feast this is. Some people say it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Some say it's the Passover. We don't know, but there's, some, there's quite a bit of time between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And so Jesus goes. Maybe it's Pentecost, 50 days after, after Passover, I believe. And maybe it's that. And so he goes back up south to Jerusalem. He would have went through the sheep gate, I believe. And beside the sheep gate, right outside the temple, is this pool. And all these people are gathered there. And Jesus walks by and it says, the scripture says, that he learned that this man had been in this condition for a long time. We don't know how old he is, but 38 years of being sick is a long, long time. It doesn't sound like he was born sick, born with, without the use of his legs. It doesn't sound that way. It sounds like maybe there was something that happened. So let's give the guy, let's say it happened when he was 20, but now he's been sick for 38 years. This is an old man. He's probably lost his family. Probably doesn't have a mother and a father anymore. They probably passed. He's decrepit can't move probably wasn't married if he was doesn't suggest that she's around anywhere doesn't suggest that there's any kids but there's this also this crazy reality that if you've ever been the caretaker of somebody who's been sick there's this moment of reality to where it's all heart right and you can see this with your own kids or with your spouse my wife is on bed rest for a little while uh, with our second with our second kid and I think it was only like three and a half weeks of bed rest at my house um I was ready to sell her. Like, that's just, uh, it was, 
At some point, you come to this conclusion of being a caretaker is inconvenient. And then you've got to move on from there. But it just is inconvenient. And you've got to begin to put part of yourself away. Just put it away. This is going to be tough. But nobody's there to take care of this guy. Jesus walks up to this guy. He learns about this guy's condition. And he walks up to him. And this is what he says, chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, there's no verse 4 in my Bible. Anybody else got a verse 4 that's missing? Verse 4 is missing? Isn't that interesting? Let me, give you the, let me give you the back of it just for a second, just so that we can... We have multiple handwritten copies of the book of John. We have multiple handwritten copies. All of them contain the same information, but there were a couple of handwritten copies that someone came along and just put in a small editorial note, oh, just so they can explain. Some people believe that there's an angel who comes and stirs the water, and the first one in gets healed. That's your verse 4. It's probably a footnote, and it's down at the bottom of your Bible. So some more... They say unreliable or less reliable passages or handwritten copies did contain this and they weren't sure. And here's what's so great about it. They were like, is it God's word or not God's word? And somebody was like, um, it, it's in some of God's, it's in some of the scripture copies. Well, if we add to the scripture, do we get in trouble? Well, Revelation says you do. Do not add or take away. Do we leave it out? It's kind of got me. Well, maybe it's not a sin if we just make it a footnote. How about that? <laughs> just put it in as a footnote, and we'd be like, we were just trying to like kind of hit the loophole, you know. So that's kind of what is going on. We don't want to leave it out. We don't know that it was really legit. There's not a lot of history. We can't find anybody else to corroborate this whole idea here. So that's why you're missing your verse 4 if you're missing... Yeah, verse 4. Okay. Verse 5. One who had been there was an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? <laughs> nah. <laughs> do you want to get well? Now, I don't think Jesus asks dumb questions. But if he did, this seems like it could be one of those times, but he doesn't. Because some questions just don't, you just can't make sense of that. Do you want to get well? Well, let's see, Jesus, I've been laying here for 38 years, haven't walked, haven't done anything, don't have a job. I stand here and I beg all day long. What do you think? Something really kind of, when I hurt my foot, do you remember when I, hurt my, when I hurt my Achilles and I rode that stupid scooter around and the guys here would steal it and hide it, you know, <laughs> or borrow it? 
When I heard it, I was on crutches or whatever for, I don't know, 12, 16 weeks, something like that. If Jesus would have said, hey, do you want to get well? Yeah, I do want to get well, Jesus. I want to real bad. I want to not walk around in this boot. I want to not ride this stupid scooter. I don't want to be on crutches. Did you know you can get calluses in your armpits? Crutches? The world's worst invention? Do you want to get well? Do I want to get well? <laughs> but there's something that happens, though. You go through something, and it just kind of sticks you in the mud. There's a thing that can happen to the human heart when you've been down a while. You know what it is? It's the amazing human ability to adapt. You know it because you've seen it and you witness it daily. People who go through a thing, they land on terrible circumstances and then they, you give them the information, here's all you need to do to change your situation and what do they do? Nothing. Nothing. And you ponder, you look at these families and you, you bang your head again, like, do they want to stay in this condition? Yeah. yeah? Who would? I don't know. Do you want to get well? It's a legitimate question. Do you want to? This guy's response is pretty telling. Kind of makes me sick, really. The more I studied it and the more I read over it, I thought, boy, I hope I don't find myself in here anywhere. I hope his answer has got nothing to do with me. I would love to preach at you for you having this problem, but I don't want to end up inside this passage of what this guy says. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Oh, <laughs> Oh, do you want to get well? Sir, I have no one. You have no one? The water gets stirred at an inconvenient time. I can't get to it. You know what's interesting to me? You know who's by the pool? The lame, the paralyzed, and the blind. If anybody can win this race, it's the lame guy. I mean, really, just let your imagination go with this for a second. Blind guy ain't finding the water. Paralyzed guy's not getting there. The lame guy could at least drag himself to the wall. 38 years and you can't win the swim contest? For real? What other kind of excuse? I know it sounds so harsh, but let's just be honest. For a second, how many times has that been me? Jared, don't you want to change the situation? Yeah, I'd like to lose a few pounds, but I love cupcakes. Why can't I lose weight? Because you're fat and you love cupcakes, Jared. That's why. Because you love them. Got a box of them in my desk. <laughs> love them. Hostess with the white box of them. Two this morning. 
<laughs> Love them. Why can't I lose weight? Trying to get some abs. You don't get abs if you got hostess. That's what you get. You don't get it. It's no trade-off. You don't get some. No, no abs. Not with cupcakes. I'd like to better my situation. Are you saving money? No, no. Making wise decisions? Well, no. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Just going to fall out of the sky? Probably not. Do you want to get well? Here's the problem. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I was abandoned. I was left here. There's no one here to love me. The cosmos are against me. The water stirs at an inconvenient time when I'm not looking or I'm not there or when I'm asleep. It's not my fault. Or someone else beats me to it. For real? Someone beats you to it? You're able-bodied and you can't make a decision enough to change a situation? I mean, I'm just assuming that the water's magical and the angel really does show up and stirs the water. I don't even know if that's true and I don't even know if this guy believes that. But his excuse to Jesus, do you want to get well? It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Do you know when you're dealing with somebody who is self-absorbed, narcissistic, and all they think about is themselves and all their pity? Do you know what they'll say? It's their fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. It's this fault. It's their fault. You know whose fault it's not? Mine. It's yours. Not my fault. Do you want to get well? Not my fault. His fault, their fault. It's the paralyzed guy's fault. It's the blind guy's fault. It's my family's fault. It's the water's fault. God's against me. My friends are against me. I got no. What is so repulsive about you that you can't find somebody to stand in your corner? I don't have anybody to talk to. What is so repulsive about you that you can't find one person to sit and listen to you talk for a minute? You don't want to get well. Jesus' question is valid. Do you want to get well? He may as well have just said, no, 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 no. You know what Jesus does to him? And this is beautiful. Bethesda means house of mercy. And this guy's like, and there's no mercy in Bethesda. There's no mercy at the pools. Here I live right here at the house of mercy and there's no mercy you mean to tell me that other people got healed here and they didn't come back and just be like, okay, when the water's stirred, we're going to throw them in by twos. <laughs> Paralyzed guy, amp yourself up for a little swimming. Because as soon as this thing hits the I mean, the water gets stirred. And the healthy people who got healed before didn't come back and fling somebody in the water when it happened? Just all lay in there? What is going on? This weird superstition that maybe the angel's going to stir. Nobody there wants well. You know what's so good about Bethesda is this. sometimes we like the sickness sometimes we love the drama sometimes we love the lack of responsibility sometimes we love the fact that somebody else will take care of all my problems for me all I got to do is stand here like this just put a little tear in my eye it's not my fault it's not my fault it's my situation it's my circumstances it's not my fault <laughs> you know what Jesus does get up you're healed wait what now you're healed. Interesting to me, really. 
It required absolutely zero faith for this guy to get healed. Jesus did it to him. What? That's really interesting to me. This isn't like one of those thank you type of healings. This is like, you know what you need? Healed. Get up. Well, uh, you can see what happens. It says that the man is healed. Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and go. And look, I... I don't know. I'm still working through this. But he gives this guy an order to take up his mat, his bedroll, and carry it on out. Take your bedroll and go. Get up. You're good. Go. Be healed. And it says that the man did not know who the guy was because Jesus just kind of slipped off into the background. <whistles> Let me tell you something. I hope nobody ever writes a story about my life, and I hope that line is never, ever in my story. That one time Jesus showed up in his life and did something amazing and wonderful and he didn't even know who it was. I hope that is never my story. This man has no idea. Listen to this story. This is bizarre. He said to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Did you notice there's no, oh my gosh, there's no, Jesus, thank you so much. There's no, joyful expression there's no nothing and all the people were amazed nobody says a thing but John does tell us something verse 9 at once the man was cured he picked up his mat and walked the day on which this took place was the Sabbath dun 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 it's a setup it's a setup you don't drop that line oh and by the way it was the Sabbath oh good you know who's about to show up now It's happening. That's the music. And it was the Sabbath. It's what it is. Here they come. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, Hey, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. What are you doing? And the guy replied, Look, the man who made me well said, Pick up your mat and walk. What a little tattletale. You get it though, right? Why are you carrying your mat? Hey, not my fault. Are you serious? It's not my fault. I didn't heal me. You have to take it up with the guy that healed me. This guy, this freaking guy. So they ask him, who is this fellow that told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. But Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. You want Later, Jesus found the man at the temple. He says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. Something worse is going to happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Now, I don't know what to make of this guy. And everybody that I read and consulted with on who this guy is, they're all like, oh, he just didn't know. It was, it was innocent. It was just he thought he was doing a good deed by putting it in front of the... Come on, man. You know when someone's shady, right? You know these guys have a history of trying to nail somebody down and pin them to the wall. You know who they are. You got to tattle on the Savior. 
You know what's interesting to me is he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Jesus goes and finds him, gives him one last word of warning. Look, fella. Look. See you doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're the guy. Yeah, that's me. You need to straighten up your act. Straighten it up. Something bad's going to happen. Now, is this a general rule for all of us? Stop living bad or bad things are going to happen to you. Stop sinning or bad things are going to happen to you. Let's be honest for just a second. Most of the time when we're sinning, we're putting ourselves in danger anyway, right? So bad things can't happen to you more often while you're sinning than when you're not. But this is not one of those things like you better stop sinning or a piano is going to fall on your head. This is not like freakish, you know what I mean? This is like put it, stop putting yourself in harm's way. Stop letting the devil lead your life because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Stop letting this happen. Straighten up your life. Do the right thing. Okay, okay, okay. And what's the guy do? He runs back to the Jews. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the guy you were looking for? That's him over there. And we forget all about the fact that he was carrying a mat. We don't care about that anymore. Now we're just going to go attack Jesus because now he's healing on the Sabbath. The problem with pain is this. Is it makes enemies out of people who are enemies. It lets me think that it's not my fault. It allows me the opportunity to blame somebody else. I sometimes like the pain because the pain means I get sympathy. If I stay in that situation for too long, then I just get to get sympathy all the time and I never have to man up under my situation and just deal with stuff. I just get to continue to stay in it and stay weak and stay broken because there's something about that that's kind of nice and inviting. And you always get a little attention when you're in pain. You want some attention? Put a cast on your arm. Just put a cast on your arm and go take a walk somewhere. Oh, what happened? Put a walking boot on. Oh, what happened to your foot? It's no wonder we like the pain. We get distracted by it. Let me read you something. It's a passage I want to point out to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> Three things I noticed in this passage I want to point out. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 9. To keep me from becoming conceited, the apostle Paul writes, because of these surpassingly great revelations that were given to me, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, therefore, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Oh, I don't like the pain. I don't like the discomfort. I don't like it when my mental health just begins to just wage war on me. I don't like that. I don't like it when things are just 
undone at my house and me and my wife don't get along. I don't like that. I don't like it when my kids fight with each other. I don't like it when I have an altercation with Luke or one of my friends. I don't like that. I don't like the pain. I don't like that feeling of not having purpose at different points in my life. I don't like that feeling of waking up and thinking to myself, this day is never going to end. I don't like that aimless, directionless feeling that I sometimes get inside of me. I don't like it. But I can't get distracted by the pain. It's serving a purpose. And what is pain intended to do? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Number one, it helps me understand grace. Uh, you know what I want to do? I want to I blame somebody else. And what God says is this. The reason that part of the, part of the reason that we have pain and that he allows pain in our life is so that we begin to understand we are broken and we need God's grace, which in turn means that we look at other people around us and go, they're broken, they need my grace. Pain helps me become a better person to other people. Do you know what I would be like if I didn't have any trouble in my life? Do you know how I would lord it over every single one of you if I didn't have any issues in my life? If I could walk with the Lord in just this constant stride, you know, I could look at you, how much fun that would be for me to look at you and be like, why can't you walk with the Lord like me? And you'd be like, it's not fair. He's so good at it. He's just so good at walking with Jesus. It's almost like the two are just like, just so connected and I would walk with Jesus and Jesus would walk with me and you would say hey would you ask Jesus a question I'd be like if I get time me and him are talking right now could you not interrupt you'd call me and I wouldn't answer and then I would give you this wonderful response sorry I didn't take your call Eric you know why me and Jesus were talking it'd be so awesome for me and I would lord it over you and then you would have to go to bed at night and be like why does he get to, get to talk to Jesus I don't get to it's because I'm better than you. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a better person than you. But you know what he did instead? Is he made me human. Fragile, broken, addicted, jacked up. To where you're looking at me going, what's the Lord saying? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. I'm a lost ball in tall grass. I don't know. Don't ask me what the Lord said. Look, I'm trying to make it. You can follow me if you want, but I don't know where I'm going. Just... I don't come on. You might lead part of the way. I don't know. Because he made me flawed and he's allowed me to be flawed. And what's the purpose? So that I can look at flawed people and be like, ha, I know. Oh, I know. Because it's not about who's winning anymore and that's about survival. I just want you with me. I just want to be with you. This isn't about who's going to win. This is about, listen, are you going to make it? I don't know. I need to make it. So I need you there to help me make it. I'll help you make it if you help me make it. it. Teaches me grace. I understand God's grace. I can have grace for you when I begin to accept the fact that pain puts me in a place of I have to accept God's grace. Thank you so much. I can't make it. I'm not going to earn heaven on my own. Here's the second thing it says. It says that you will experience my power. That's the thing we started talking about in the beginning. This is why we come back, because we want to experience his power. And when I do, what happens? I experience his power and I'm made different. Here's the third thing. We get to minister to others from our brokenness. I will boast all the more in my weaknesses. You know what sucks for me? 
is that the ministry that I wanted to have was this really dynamic ministry where people put me on a pedestal and they just were in awe of all the wisdom that I could spout from the pulpit. That's the one that was in my head. Like, this is the kind of ministry I want to have. Do you know the one I got? It's this one. And this is the constant compliment, compliment that I get. You know what we love about you, Jared? No, what? Is that it's almost like you're not even a preacher because you're just so screwed up. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. Appreciate that. You're ugly. Huh? <laughs> it's just like you're a regular guy. <laughs> at least I'm regular. That's the good. At least I'm just a normal. You didn't say I'm a terrible guy. That's the thing that I get. Why? Because, look, here's the deal. In your mind, part of it has to be this. If he's making it, I'm going to make it. (laughs) If he can do it, surely I can do it. Because that's what we begin to learn, is that our ministries are our weaknesses. So here's my question to you. Are you taking your brokenness and putting it on display? Are you looking for people who are struggling in the same area as you and taking your problem and putting it in front of them and being honest about your problem? Do you want to get well? Yes, I do. Thank you. Because if you do, you tell your story. You put it out there. You land it right in the middle of other people and you say, I'm Jared. I'm an addict. I got problems. I sometimes need a lot of supervision. I sometimes wake up in the morning and I send out emails to guys that I know and love and be like, had some weird thoughts between my bed and the shower, had some weird thoughts. Could you check on me around noon? Because if you don't check on me by noon, I'll be derailed by three, promise. Just check on me. And they fire back, yep, check on you. Get the text messages, I get the emails, I get the call. I need, uh, I need somebody to kind of watch me for about 72 hours. That's part of what it is. Do you want to change your own life? You've got to take your problem and put it out there. Do you want to get well is a very valid question. Do you want to get well? Then you've got to talk to somebody about what's going on. You've got to take it and put it out there because I will boast all the more in my weaknesses. You know what holds me together? Jesus. And there's no question, is there? There's no question. I don't need to explain that to you. Jesus is holding this together. Yes. Thank you, Ron. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it challenges us and changes us. Pray that you'd be with us today. Pray that we can honor you with our life and that we can honestly look ourselves in the in the mirror and we can look at you and we can answer the question honestly. Yes, we do want to get well, and and part of the problem is us. Lord, we'll stop blaming other people. We'll take the steps that we need to take. Lord, we will begin to experience your grace, experience your power, and experience ministry through weakness rather than through strengths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good afternoon.